but when I saw y'all doing it, I'm like, get out, feel good. Like, this is gonna end up being, like, I, I love dialogue, I love back and forth, uh, and I also feel like I can learn a lot from you all. So how are y'all doing today? Great! Yes. Yes. Feels so much better, feels so much better. Uh, so what I want you all to do, and you all can take a second to do this, uh, on these note cards, uh, and these are gonna be completely anonymous, I want you to know that out of the gate. Um, I want you to write down unhealthy ways that you have dealt with stressors or a traumatic issue that you do not know how to talk about. I want you to take time to write on that note card unhealthy ways that you have dealt with stressors and a traumatic issue that you do not know how to talk about, and then I want you to hold it in half before the text is not out. Um, but uh, this is going to consist of a lot of different storytelling. Uh, I'm going to tell a, a different stories. I'm also going to tie a couple of them into poetry and tie them into poems um, because it kind of helps me think of the way that I went through those experiences and the things that I saw um, and the way that they impacted my life. Um, I'm also going to share a lot of stories about my upbringing and the things that I've experienced. Um, the reason I want to do this is because I really want this to be an open forum. So in a lot of the workshops that I was in today, there wasn't a lot of uh, communication and give and take with the people who are in the room. Um, so if you hear something and you have a question, if you're hitting those up, I want to be an open book. So if you hear something and you have a question about it, please put your hand up. Uh, I, I like to be as open as possible, so don't be like, oh, I don't want to ask this, uh, it makes me weary. Especially if you hear something that might connect with like a client of yours, and you have a question about it. I feel like a lot of different professionals always lean on other professionals when they have questions, but a lot of times you don't get to really dig into other people's lives that have gone through it and ask these people about the issues, right? Um, and that's really what I want a lot of this session to, to come down to. Um, so yes, please, feel free, you can ask questions about anything. Um, so a little bit about my life. Uh, I grew up in what I described for a long time as a very complicated home environment. I always, I always described it as complicated, because complicated was way easier uh, of a word to use, uh, especially because I didn't really want to vocalize a lot of the things that were going on with me when I was growing up. Um, I grew up in a house where uh, I was raised by a dynamic single mother. Uh, my mom worked two jobs to make ends meet for what I have known is forever. Um, and when I was about six years old uh, is when my little brother's dad came into the picture. Uh, my mom sat me down at a pretty young age uh, as soon as he came into the picture. Uh, he, he had an issue with alcoholism and she knew it. She's pretty open, she's a pretty aware woman. Um, but she sat me down and was like, hey, I'm gonna make a choice. Um, this choice is going to uh, impact our life in probably a good way. There also might be some downs. I'm just going to be absolutely honest about it. Um, but I just want to let you know that I'm making this choice to make our lives better. Uh, she married this gentleman who was a really successful contractor who had a really good business. Um, and we went from literally living in a trailer and apartments our entire lives to getting our first house as soon as he came into the picture. Um, but the downfall to him is as soon as he did drink, uh, he'd always want to get violent with me, push me into walls. Uh, hit me, scream at me, get in my face, especially when she wasn't around. Um, and uh, as soon as I turned nine or ten, uh, that's when the molestation started. Um, as soon as as soon as all these things began, uh, I then started to become a really violent kid. Um, I lashed out all the time. 
I loved getting in fights in school. I was that kid who literally got suspended and like spent all his time in in-school suspension and out-of-school suspension. Like I probably knew that this the person who uh, the ISS teacher better than I knew any of my actual educators. And he was my friend. I thought he was great, so I loved getting sent to ISS because I thought he was a really cool dude, Mr. Finley. He had huge lips. He's a great dude. Bald head. Awesome. <laughs> Mr. Finley. He looks like a fish. Um, <laughs> that was the irony of his name. Um, but um, one thing that I started to realize is that. It felt so comfortable to fight people. It felt so comfortable. It felt so comfortable to be able to get somebody that was my size and put my hands on them. And where I grew up, it was normal to fight. It was almost accepted and like you, you prided yourself on fighting. Fighting at the basketball courts, fighting at the corner store, fighting wherever you can fight. <laughs> fighting at the movie theater, fighting at the mall. Like we fought everywhere we went. Um, and as soon as I started getting suspended from school, um, my mom made the decision to say, all right, you know what, something's going on. I feel like I need to get you tested. Um, so she took me to my first mental health provider, um, this weird place in Ann Arbor. Uh, and they had me fill out all these tests and all these boxes. And they all came back and she was like, oh, hey, there's a lot of issues going on. I think you have anxiety and bipolar and depression. Um, and I was sitting there thinking in my head, like, yeah, there's a lot of stuff going on in there, but I mean, whatever. Um, Fine, that's great. And she started sending me to see this lady. Um, I hated my first therapist. I hated her probably more than a lot of different people in my life. She was super uncomfortable to talk to. She couldn't hold a conversation. And more than anything, I didn't feel like she actually cared about my life. No matter how hard she tried or any of the questions she asked, or the, she could ask questions about shoes and clothes, I didn't feel that she actually genuinely cared about my life. So I hated going. Every single week I hated going. And after a certain amount of time, I threw a huge fit about it because I was a young teenager and told my mom, I'm not going to go. If I go, I'm just going to get more fights in school. She's like, fine, I'll send you. Um, so um, she started researching and digging through even more things and looking at different uh, therapists and psychologists. And I think I bounced around to about three or four the first three years that I was seeking assistance. Did you get a card? Yeah, no? sorry. Here you go. If you want to fill her in on how it works. Um, um, so I bounced around to about three or four in those first years. Um, as I was going through those years, I started to figure out a lot about my family history. They ask a lot about your family history when it comes to mental health, and this is something that I never realized. Who in your family does this impact? My grandmother is somebody who had depression. Uh, my grandfather is somebody who had bipolar and depression. Um, I had an uncle that committed suicide. Uh, I had like a, a cousin on my mom's side that committed suicide. And these are all things that I didn't really know were prevalent, that were, were common in my family. Um, so at that point, I started taking out a lot of the other issues that I would take out on other people on myself. Uh, there was a while where I started cutting instead of fighting because it made my, my mom didn't see it and she just wouldn't get as mad. Um, and then there were times where I really started in my late 16, 17, diving into substance abuse issues. Uh, the person, as you heard, um, who was a lot of my trauma growing up had an issue with drinking. Um, my grandpa was a drinker for his entire life. That's what everybody remembered him as. And my grandpa was one of the most important people in my life. Um, so I felt like there was a, a lot of comfort in that. Um, plus, everybody around me was doing it all the time. Um, the first story, the first poem and story that I'm going to share, um, is, is, it kind of bounces off that. So my grandpa was my father figure. He was one of the most important people in my life and a huge beacon in my life. Um, but when my grandfather um, passed away, 
that was a trauma that I didn't know how to deal with. When it came to what was going on at home when I was growing up, I got used to dealing with it. When it came to me interacting and fighting with kids, I knew how to deal with that. But none of that actually felt like trauma. Um, but uh, when I was 22 years old, uh, my mom called me on her drive up from uh, Kentucky. She said, uh, Marcel, uh, I want you to take a seat uh, and I want you to get ready because I'm going to be up there in four hours. And I was like, well, that's my mom coming with me. Um, and she's like, well, if you sit down, I'll tell you. And I did. And she said, uh, hospice is with your grandfather and we got to go up there so you can say goodbye. Um, a few years prior, I'd never started hanging out with my grandfather anymore. He got diagnosed with Alzheimer's. Uh, I, I didn't feel like I was strong enough to see him. Uh, he was my father figure growing up, my one healthy father figure. Um, so I didn't want to see him become anything less than the person I knew him to be. Um, I made a choice to walk away for about six, seven, eight years. Um, I didn't want him to forget my name. There was something that seemed so devastating about if he forgot who I was that I might lose everything. Um, so as soon as I heard this from my mother, I started crying, started bawling. And I'm not somebody who, who ever historically cried. I think it was like, that might have been the first time I actually really cried. Um, I started pacing around the house. Uh, I remember my armpits were sweating and my palms were sweating and I was getting angry. I started screaming a lot. Um, I started screaming so much that I felt like the neighbors probably would have called the police on me if they would have heard me screaming that much. Um, but I started texting my friend and I was like, hey man, I really need you right now. And I realized, oh man, he just left. Uh, and took my luggage and went to California, which also made me really mad at the time. Now that I think about it, I was pointing my luggage, and that was a whole other thing. Um, but then I continued to pace around the house, get really mad and frustrated. Um, and I was like, you know what? I need to stop. Uh, I feel my chest getting tight. I feel like I'm going to pass out. And then go upstairs and go to bed. I went upstairs to my bedroom, and there was a card on my bed. And I was like, that's really sweet of my roommate, I guess. Uh, and I looked at it, and it was a card from my grandfather. And, and at that point, I remember thinking like I'm going insane. I was like, how can there be a card from my grandfather on my back? Um, and in that point, I, I felt like I was looking at myself from above myself and like everything wasn't real. Um, and then I started really losing it. I started breaking stuff in the house because I couldn't explain the card. And I was like, this doesn't make any sense. And I call my mom and I'm screaming on the phone. I'm like, you don't understand. There's a card for grandpa on my bed. And my mom's like trying to hit me with some spiritual stuff. Like, oh, you know, higher powers. There's not everything you can explain. And I'm like, lady, you don't know what you're talking about. There's an actual card on my bed. Like, this is like some lifetime movie. There's an actual card on my bed for grandpa. He, he can't be here clearly. And she's like, starts crying, she's like, I don't know what's going on, you just need to calm down, I'll be there two more hours, or something like that. And it's like, oh, I don't know if I can do two more hours. Uh, so I start pacing around the house even more, she gets there, I'm literally crying on the porch, um, she gets in there, I get in her car, we go up to see my grandfather. Um, when we get up to see my grandfather, uh, my grandma's there, my aunt's there, um, they greet me, they hug me, they look real sad, and I don't understand why they look real sad. Uh, and my grandma gives me this pamphlet that says, it's from hospice, I don't know how many of you work with hospice, but they give you a little pamphlet that says, like, the stages of death. Uh, and I get this pamphlet, and I start reading it, and I'm like, this is the stupidest thing you could ever give to somebody. Why, why would you give this? It's like, as soon as somebody starts to die, they start giving away all their things. And I think at the time, like, gave me a, a lure, or like a, a fishing pole, or like, he gave me everything. I was like, man, how long has he been dying? And my brain started, like, speeding up even more, and I'm just like, start freaking out about it. Um, and I go in there, and I'm just like, Grandma, I don't know why you gave me this. And I see him in the living room, and he's on this bed, and he's just laying down. Um, it's just his chest moving. 
and he looks, I hadn't seen him in seven, eight years, I, nothing like I remember. Um, and I kind of just sit there for a while, and they're like, oh, talk to him, talk to him, talk to him. I'm like, I don't want to talk to him. He's literally just laying there. And they're like, no, he can hear you. Just talk to him. Um, so I started pouring out a lot. Um, I want to say that that was the first time that I've ever been honest with myself. Probably actually honest with myself in my life. I started with, I'm sorry. Um, I'm sorry I haven't been around. I'm, I'm sorry I haven't been there. I'm sorry that I was my grandson. I just want to let you know that you were my dad. And I started pouring out everything that was happening to me when I was younger. And that I didn't have the strength to see him become anything less than the one dad I had. Um, and really just bawling my eyes out. And my mom was there crying, and my aunt is crying, and my grandmother is crying. And the next thing I know, his chest stops moving. Um, and then my mom comes in again with the praise be, oh, maybe that's what he needed. And it is, I'm just like, look at her like, <laughs> like I'm gonna hit you with a folding chair, it's probably the look I gave. Um, and I'm just like, all right, whatever, lady. Uh, so I go outside and walk outside, and I remember everything being called. Um, for, for the first time in a long time, I remember not being mad or not being sad, but everything just felt quiet, quiet in my head. My head is never quiet. Um, and my mom ends up going home, and I sit there. And I get home and I see that card again as soon as I get home. And then I start getting even more angry again. Because I'm like, he was laying on a hospital bed. There's no way that he could just put it in my room. Um, but the next day, my roommate calls me and is like, hey, what were these hundreds of calls? And I tell him, I'm like, hey, my grandfather, hospice came. He died. There was a card on my bed. I couldn't understand it. I started believing in God for the first time in my life. And I never believed in God because um, I couldn't explain it. And he tells me that it was in the front pocket of my luggage. Um, and that he took it out and he took my bags and he put it on my bed. And I felt like I had a million pounds lifted off me because there was this thing that I couldn't describe. Um, but this poem that I'm going to read um, is a poem that I wrote to help me process uh, my grandfather's passing um, and to help me kind of just understand all of the feelings that were going through my head. Uh, and if you have a loved one that has passed away, um, then this poem is for you, and, that I hope, and I hope it helps you along your journey. But here's this poem. So my grandpa was teaching me to shoot when I was a kid. And he said, aim. Take a deep breath. Air for your lungs with life. Hold it for a moment. Let half of it out. Focus. And slowly squeeze the trigger. Granddad. Never heard of this poem. You will never feel this thank you caressing your eardrums, turning well with its spine, clasping your ribs with a death grip like that final hug goodbye with the final you. Signifying the bipolar smile of a boy that's taught to love like a gunshot. Take aim. Focus. When in a relationship with someone with bipolar disorder, it is key to remember, yet so easy to forget, the letter U, refrigerator magnet, can also effortlessly be substituted with the lowercase n. And better yet, 
that the assistance of periods, which can also be substituted with the dots of two lowercase i's, can all be used to erect a face. Looking at you, displaying a mood which you may not have intended to create, to my dearest grandmother, you, smiling, taught me how to love. And flip it, and even when frowning, you still taught me how to love, so flip it, you are also why I hate them. Them being my genes, more denim than genetic, yet still blue in the kisser from holding their secrets like breath. Making me want to trickle crimson from their zipper locking ways, mentally screaming, stop, every time I heard them prematurely talk about my granddad. As if he'd already punched his last time card. Replacing that overly used couch, broken into perfection, for it ready to be broken and casted to finally be rested in. So I'm still well nestled in the memory, still comfort blanketing my mental from seeing him magician my grandmother's frown and blissful happiness as if his fingertip was a magic wand in her lips. Simply as easy to alter as an alphabet magnet alone in, always waiting for the you, magic man, to turn it around, as that is what would instill the memory of him to be everlasting. Not focusing on the eyes, I could never see his gaze sunsetting over the years, only picturing eyes creating smiles from watching him rope swing, uppercasing smiles on our faces through all flesh up and downs. He capitalized eyes, not focusing on the dots, but he still cultivated a pupil or two young Houdini's, focused on creating smiles from and he always turned it around when he needed it most. But now I, I find it so hard to keep wanting, striving, working towards being you, that at times I just want to stay unprepared for this funeral tidal wake of memories, with my you being shattered into a past a window pane, rear view mirroring my smiles, and my grandmother being greatly concerned inquiring if the reason I now push away women is because of her, or because of my family, because I only only smile for so long for I said, well, yeah, I can hear you all forgetting that. Is that love? Is that what we strive a lifetime for? Be until death do you part truly. Becoming skinny jeans, seeing, seeing vows turning into a lifestyle, turning into just another trend. Making jeans of the G that much easier to rip in a pair of seams. I think they symbolize my loved ones. Hold it, see, I'm only letting half of it out. Half of us now realize that bipolar and depression genetically run in our family, but so just pushing people away. Through life, I've shoved pills into gaps, into these little empty pockets within ourselves, but how many capsules does it take to truly feel regret? And why use that when you can get your hands dirty and get to the bottom of yourself for others by digging it apart? I smile, but I remember my grandfather teaching me to love over this Remington pump action 30-30 rifle. He says, ain't the air for your lungs with life. But I now slowly pull the trigger on life decisions, especially in regards to love. I'll remember how his loved ones treated him, like a, like a quickly fading memory. A bullet so easy to push away and let that boom resonate over eardrums passed down that should have felt me saying thank you a long time ago. I will vow to treat my child like the biological dad I never had. See, granddad, you taught me how to love. And flip it, even when frowning, you still taught me how to love. So flip it, granddad, you have never heard this poem. You've never felt this thank you caressing your eardrum, turning well with its spine, clasping your ribs with a death grip like that final hug goodbye, but I promise, before time fades, and your grandson is settling into black, I will thank you, magic man, for teaching me how to perform life's hardest trick, to finally love the right way, unconditionally, before it's boom, gone. But 
the more I grew, especially after this, um, the more I really started to want to take control of my mental health. I, I never felt like I've let it go so much, especially when there were things that I couldn't describe, and there was the, the first time I cried, I was like, man, I was like, I, I really want to get to the bottom of this. But I started to, to research and to look into mental health and mental health practices, and I started to realize that none of these people that are pushing a lot of these endeavors, none of these people that are coming up with a lot of this look like me. Um, and that made me start to ask a lot of questions. I started to look into a lot of different media, because um, I was like, man, I was like, I, I wonder what other ways I could inspire people or reach out through this experience that I had. Um, and for example, like Kid Cudi was out at the time. Um, and like Kid Cudi was huge, because when Kid Cudi came out, it was like, first off, there's a person of color, second off, uh, a male talking about emotions in a, in a realm of toxic masculinity, but also somebody who's talking about mental health in a way that was nuanced and it was powerful. And I started to realize that there is no movie, there is no handbook, there's not a lot of media for young people, especially young people of color, to discover themselves and to work through these emotions. Um, and that's one of the things that really made me want to work with Mental Health America. And we put together this huge thing where it's like, these videos that are like, hey, this is what uh, this is what anxiety looks like. This is what depression looks like. This is what bipolar looks like. And I was like, man, we should start creating media. We should start creating some nuanced way that we can get young people engaged in, in seeing exactly what these things look like. Um, but the bigger thing that started to make a difference in my life, exactly like you said, is I was like, at that point, I had never wanted so bad to let go. There are other points where I did but there was, never other, there was never a time where I wanted to not be here more than that. Um, but I was like, you know what? The thing that really changed my life is finding other young people and reaching out to other young people that felt the same way I did. Um, and I had never known so many young people felt exactly the same way I did. I was just a kid that was growing up in the east side of Michigan, um, going through all these different things, lashing out in a million different ways without any sort of stability. So, with the help of partners, partners like Mental Health America, partners like different school boards in Michigan, they started sending us into schools to start telling our stories, to start talking about all these things, and doing anonymous exercises. Anonymous exercises, just like the one I'm actually going to do with adults today. Normally, we do this with a lot of young people. Um, thank you. What I want you all to do is I want you just to marinate on it for a second. I feel like a lot of you are so busy helping people. Um, but a lot of times you don't just get to tell yourself how worthy you are, right? And about how, how valid everything that you are has gone through and how hard it can be. But I want to commend you on taking so many of these things, so many of these things that are hard, and putting it into something that you believe in and putting it into other people, right? Because that's valuable and that's important. And the work that you're doing is incredible. Um, when you leave here today, I want you to take like a deep breath. Actually, we'll take a deep breath before we leave. Can we all breathe in? Breathe out. More than anything today, I wanted you all to feel. Um, that's, that's the most important thing, right? Um, today, you got to soak in so much information, uh, and you all constantly get to make people feel. But more than anything today, I wanted you all to feel. I wanted you to feel a lot. And I wanted you to be around a lot of people that felt comfortable enough talking about these things and opening up around a room of, of people who have the same beliefs and the same passions, right? Um, 
And I want to thank you um, for trusting me and making this space a space where you all uh, felt comfortable enough to allow this to happen. Um, when you do move forward, um, my call to action, again, as I said, is find nuanced ways to activate your community and to do things in your community that gets people talking, that gets people acting that gets people taking action, and gets people open and honest. <laughs> find things that people are comfortable doing, find things that people um, are excited about doing, um, and make those those new ways that we can start to activate our communities. Um, thank you all so much for listening. Um, thank you all for spending time with me. What up, though, FSP Conference? When I say what up, though, can y'all say what up, though? What up, though? I need way more energy than that. Y'all were just so loud. I need, I need way more than that. What up, though, FFC, FSP Conference? See, that feels so much better. Uh, how are y'all doing today? Good, like eh, in, in between some like ups and downs, bads. I, I appreciate the honesty. Um, so I'm gonna dive into who I am and what I do. And I understand that uh, you guys have been doing a ton of learning today and like it feels good to be able to like talk and connect with people. Uh, but a lot of the work that I share is very vulnerable and personal to myself. Um, so if you do hear somebody talking really loudly next to you, if you could like pinch them or like throw them like a casual elbow or like just whisper to them softly like, hey, shh, I'd appreciate it so much. Um, I'm a pretty anxious human being by nature um, and you'll hear that about my story. Um, so it's like when I just hear loudness, I just get even more nervous. Um, before I start, uh, I'm from the state of Michigan and I grew up in East Michigan and I now live in West Michigan. And looking around this room and seeing so many individuals who are passionate about the work and pushing the work forward makes me so, so, so proud. But even more than that, seeing so many individuals of color who are passionate about mental health come together makes me so proud. So if you could put your hands together for everybody in this room. At age 14, when I was diagnosed with anxiety, bipolar, and depression, if I had somebody who looked like me and who talked like me and who dressed like me that I could go to, I would have felt way more comfortable and I wouldn't have had to run into a lot of the hurdles that I ran into as a, as a younger kid. Um, so the first poem that I'm going to read, I, I like circles. I like things that run in circles. I don't know why I like things that run in circles so much. Um, but this, this set is also going to run in a circle. Um, I travel all around the country and I share my story with people. Most of the time it's with young people. Uh, my nonprofit uses poetry to empower young people to share their stories, raise awareness of social issues, and be active members in their community. And what we do is we go into places, we share our stories, we share our hardships, we share our stories, and then we empower and workshop with young people so they can do the same in their own communities. Um, I like to see myself as a caterpillar. I'm somebody who's like constantly like grinding on the ground and one day I hope that I'll get my wings. Earlier today in a workshop, I heard a gentleman named Marcelo. Um, he said, as providers, he's like, we ask people where they wanna go. Um, maybe they wanna go to like Tokyo in their journey, right? Um, and they might never make it to Tokyo, but our job is to give them the tools to just get them as far along their journey as they can. And one day I hope that I can spread my wings and be a butterfly, but until then, I feel like I'm constantly just kind of chugging along the ground, helping everybody as I can. But here's the start of this. Once it hatches, a caterpillar, Mike, will first start to feed on the egg in which it was born. Then, the leaves around it. 
In 12 to 24 hours, it will shed its skin. It will repeat this process multiple times so that it can grow. But once big enough, hormones will dictate when it is full. It will stop eating just before it's ready to make the final transformation. They will choose a spot under a covered location and build a chrysalis. This feature stage is called pupa. Before open, Mike will break itself into nothing. During, it will devour itself. After 15 days, a butterfly emerges. The series of changes in a butterfly's lifespan is called metamorphosis. Me personally, growing up in Michigan, I, I had a pretty traumatic upbringing. Um, I'm like the patient that a lot of you work with. Uh, I was a kid that grew up in a house rooted in molestation and physical abuse, uh, that was rooted in alcoholism, uh, that was rooted in there's corner stores all around me and my family drinks. So when times get hard, what do we do? We go to the one thing that we see all the time. Um, there was no avoiding stressors in my neighborhood. Um, there was only, you see the stressors, so either you go to it or you can, now I've learned to work to refrain my mindset. The thing that really set me free was poetry, it was spoken word. And this poem is a lot about my story and you'll hear even more in the workshop and the breakout session, but this is it. Don't mind me, because this poem is meant to be quiet. Said doctors about the child that was stillborn, moving. Said factors about the lifestyle I still live, yet soothing me more than the antidepressants, because isn't it depressing how life works sometimes, yet, isn't it refreshing how life works sometimes? I'm sorry, I guess that's the bipolar. When you can go from your childhood theme song matching Saturday morning cartoons and understanding why you love ninjas, pizza, and turtles, to not understanding why life's hurdles seem to match Berlin walls as you crumble to pharmaceutical commercials because the jingle over the symptoms matched the dinner bell and you're starving to feel normal. Your own arm always looks a little bit more appetizing when you feel trapped, so smother that no, where's the salt? Because I know someone in here is willing to throw it and I may have open wounds that won't heal soon, so if you are going to throw it, could you please pass the paper shaker? It is normal to eat three meals a day, and this might make a great one, but do you suffer from bulimia if you're busy coughing up your differences instead of meals? What's normal? Sometimes when I reminisce, I get sad. Is that depression? Should life lessons be? Forget that stepdad one tried to fight me every day because a pill will fix that. Erase the memory of my grandest father figure trying to figure out why I can't bear to see him change with time as I was told that Alzheimer's disease would make him forget me anyways this one time or Two or three or four or five times I thought about killing myself. I'm told that's not normal. What's normal? I hear the symptoms are having both parents, happy and functional. Functional meaning what you see is actually what you get. And those skeletons, if there are skeletons, will be safely swept under the rug, out of sight, out of the mind, as if the blind are happier people. Because happy, that's normal. And not bottling the you won't because you can't, or that you are too to do it, or I wish they never, so I never felt not normal. You shouldn't bottle unless it's prescribed it's not normal. Well, neither is my disorder, apparently. And for some scary reason, I'm living a 25 percentile child in the world isn't bipolar, then why does the world have two? And I have to think that my emotion percent is more valid than my race, because face it, with the globe being 20% black, 10% Hispanic, 12% biracial, I'm going to equally manage my emotion disorder in order to issue, get a tissue race, because face it, I'm a minority anyway. 
A 25% of a 12% leave me feeling not even 3% normal. So this poem is for the paper shakers, for those kids that we work with, for the adults that you work with that will stand in front of their community nervous, shaking like a leaf. This is for the paper shakers, for those whose hands match leaves and fall but don't because they aren't normal. Praise it. Using people's ears like medication because it's cheaper. Face it, sometimes the only reassurance we need is somebody showing us that someone is willing to listen. Genuinely listen. And even if it's you, this once, put away your phones, but not the applause and look in awe at the people around you brave enough to feel normal. Just trying to feel normal. My little brother was named after the prior who was stillborn. But he's moving through life is a reminder to me that being still is not what we are born in. Life can suck, but tuck the punch and suck it up. But don't you dare sucker punch the ones lucky enough to find passion in their sanity. Doctor, pen, prescription, paper, chasing their eating disorders by feeling sort of normal. Have you ever contemplated suicide? Have you ever felt depressed? Why at times does it feel like there is nothing left when there is everything? The same reason people pay no attention to art but paint, pay to record but tune everybody else out, find out the world's north and south poles are milestones and appreciate them no matter what you have because sometimes you'll be the only one who will and there's not always a pill to fix that. That's a fact. So I'm, I'm somebody who's constantly navigating uh, my mental health journey, um, and I'm somebody who's constantly uh, rising these, these ups and downs, I mean, as somebody with bipolar does. Um, but as of late, um, the more stable I feel, there's little things that will happen and that will make me just want to crumble and crawl into myself. Um, and this is kind of about that. <laughs> so now I'm sitting there watching this Animal Planet show about butterflies. Because who can stay upset when looking at butterflies, right? Yet there I was. A, a snot tear extravaganza, ugly face, cherry on top, sprinkled with that hideous dying lion seal noise, the one people make when they're really upset. <clears throat> crying my eyes out. I can laugh about it now because I learned about the cycle. It starts with feeding, destroying and engulfing the very things that give it life the same way I did my mother. The same way I proceeded to with lovers, friends, my environment, and people that unknowingly become new leads for me to turn over when I crave destruction, not yet willing to take it out on myself, though I always did. Somehow, they're always kind enough to take me back every time I metabolize them and shed dead layers of myself, though I don't deserve it. They often fought with a, you should be so proud of how much you've grown, but I never am. They don't know that each time my hunger evolves alongside me, it becomes larger. I strive to take up more space no matter how minute I feel. Every time I feel even close to big enough, I stop eating. I feel myself on excuses. Today I forgot. I was too busy and worse, I don't deserve it. Until I pick a spot under a covered location. The documentary called this the pupa stage. Is my couch not a chrysalis or cocoon? The bathroom floor. The bed in the guest room away from the woman I love. The places I lock myself away for days from nurture. Are they not that protective layer? The place I wrap myself in to feel whole before breaking into nothing so I feel safe enough to spread my wings. When you are laying there motionless, 
This is when your mind does nature's magic. Body's still metabolizing itself, but somehow after days I emerge, that vibrant flowing being that so many see. When battling bipolar and depression, ask yourself, isn't it strange how a caterpillar's transformation into a butterfly can look so much like me? Keep crawling. I promise one day you will fly. Along this journey, in this uh, wildly broken insurance system that we have in America, um, I know this system all too well because as a full-time artist, my income constantly changes. So it's like one day, it's like, oh, the marketplace is like, oh, this insurance is great, and like, go see all these people, and it, and it goes with this, and the next day it will change, and then insurance plans will change. Um, and then I'll constantly have to change healthcare providers, um, which is so annoying. Um, but therapy is something that has definitely helped me a, lot, a, a majority of the way through this. Uh, but unfortunately, we don't have such a wide array of people for example, who look like me in Michigan. Um, so a lot of the times, the people who are trying to help me through this journey are using systems, are using information that has been given to them by more people who don't look like me, and it continues to not hit home, and it continues to not help. So along this journey, I've had to take the little bits and pieces that I can to try to like teach myself as much as I can. For example, um, like instead of a breathing technique where somebody's like, oh, hey, picture yourself on a, on a water's edge in the ocean and like breathe. It's like before I was 25, I never saw an ocean. Like, I don't know what you want me to, what you want me to picture. This isn't helping me. Um, but it's like, all right, maybe, maybe I can put myself back in like my mom's car on a road trip, right? And it's like, that was that joyful spot. And it's like, I try to take all these little things. Um, but um, one thing I will say is as I've gained all these little pieces, um, they've definitely helped me to be a more stable individual. Um, as of late, um, I, I've realized that anger and grief and sadness are, are three things that have played a huge role in my life. And for a long time, I thought that anger was a person. I thought anger was somebody that I could sit with that I could get to know really well. Uh, growing up, we always got in fights. That was like natural to me. And growing up, like therapists were like, oh, you can't get in fights. I'm like, hey, I'm gonna get beat up at school. I, 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 gotta, like, I can't do nothing. Um, but um, now I've started to realize that anger is a thing like a, like a vase. It's something that I can hold and put back. But sadness and grief, those are the people. Those are the people I need to sit with and get to know and get to know real well and get to know intimately and talk to and have conversations with. And that's something that I've begun to like formulate that's really got me to this point in my journey. Um, and, the, and the second to last poem I'm gonna read uh, is about my, my primary stressor right now. So I have a, a beautiful fiance um, and she was just diagnosed with stage 3B breast cancer. Um, and again, I say that to say, um, there are some non-traditional methods that bring healing, and this for me, this art form, this craft, and a lot of, with a lot of the young people I work with, this is that form of stability. Um, so I read this for any of you that are struggling with that issue, uh, or that can relate to it, but this is for you. No one writes a poem for the partners or the soon-to-be survivors. So I etched this one in my ribs for the ones with smiles like theater masks, 
The ones where hair-triggered laugh and tempers like dry fields that haven't felt the warmth of French-kissing lightning yet. The ones with shoulders made of stone that feel they can't afford to crumble. The non-denominational dream catchers of prayers, well wishes, hope, whatever good juju people can conjure up that day and serve up hot. This one is for the tin folk, scarecrows, and lions. For the bastards that never felt love until they realized it could leave them without them even pushing it away. To the people who ixnate on running because you are too scared to even move now, much less look for the fire exit when it feels like your world is aflame and your feet are rooted in the here and now, don't worry. I wrote this for the stable and the quick to validate too. The ones that been good and healthy before good and healthy was a reaction fueled by fight or wanting to fly your ass away. This for those stuck in fight or flight. This for those that just want to fight because it feels so much safer than feeling. Or the ones that can't find wings in their overcrowded closets, junk drawers or backpacks, stuffed to the lining with coffins and bones. I wrote it for the tongues, a record skipping on, I love you, I, I love you, love, I, I. This is for those that can't help but be selfishly focused on the I. Because every time they think of the latter, they tear themselves into pieces, somehow Elmer's gluing themselves together for their you. I wrote you a poem. I wrote me a poem. It reads, no one writes a poem for the partners or the soon-to-be survivors or the partners of the lost. So many are focused on your loved one that maybe not even you can focus on yourself. If your partner asks you to be strong and you, like me, ain't never been the best at doing the best for you, here's a secret. Self-care ain't even for self now. Everything is selfless. Tell your reflection that you are being the best you that you can be for them and believe it. Move the needle forward. Let the record play past love. Sit there for a while until it ends and listen for the thunder, whether it comes or not. So I'm gonna close out with this last poem. Uh, I appreciate you all for listening so well. Like when people just like quiet and like zoom in and like I see tears and like happies and smiles, like that just, that brings my heart so much joy. Um, the last poem that I'm gonna read uh, is kind of like the end to the circle and what brings it back. Uh, it's the intro to my book. Um, I brought some of them in my workshop session. I'll have a bunch there. At the end, there's a ton of really valuable workshop sessions that you all should go to. If you want to swing by and snag a sticker or snag like a, a pamphlet and then go to somebody else's workshop session, that's okay with me. I also love hugs. So if you want to just come and like give a hug, I'm okay with hugs. I'm a big hugger. In Michigan, we hug a lot in deep, like genuine hugs. I don't like the, I don't like the half do hug, so expect like a real hug. Um, that's, yeah. Um, <laughs> But yeah, if you want to come and get information, a sticker, how to contact or stay in touch, please do so. Um, but here's this last poem. Ever since we saw a poor Aladdin caress cold brass creating riches, a Robin Williams voice genie animated with a smile that will last longer than the memory of him being seen as genuinely happy, Everyone has always wanted that one wish. I wish I could get through this. Trust me, you can. I wish suicide didn't seem so appealing. Remember, a robin flew to the heavens. Please make other plans. Keep fighting through the, I wish it didn't happen to me, yet here you stand. Stronger, 
weathered. Whether you know it or not, others have experienced this process. You are the driftwood crafted from a hurricane of experiences. No one the same. Bask in that for a while. You are an example to others, a masterpiece that proved worthy of display. Those skeletons hanging, bring them out of the closet, accessorize them with new J's, some fresh shell toes, heels, or flats. Hell, put them in a picture frame. But do not bother with a do not touch sign. Let the oils of people's fingerprints leave imprints just as unique as you. Leave the ripples on your open wounds. I know crimson stains the same as fresh paint, but don't be ashamed of the scars. One day they will heal. You just have to live to tell the story. So promise me you will live to tell the story that you will encourage others to do the same. Your story needs to be heard, believe this. And I know when drowning, breathing is hard or even wanting to, but promise me you'll be the robin once spouting to the ground that chose to give flying another try. Wishes are like prayers, fueled by faith. And I believe in you. Thank you very, very, very much. I appreciate you all listening and rocking out with me. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you. My name is Fable, or Fable the Poet. If you all have social media, I know not everybody does, please hit me up on Facebook, Instagram, reach out, let's talk, and please come get a hug, join me, and thank you all for being here and doing the work that you do. If you could give yourselves a round of applause, please give yourselves a round of applause. Not a whack round of applause, you deserve one. Give yourself a round of applause. Thank you for doing the work that you're doing. I appreciate you.